Hey, you're here with Dr. Jody, and this is season four of Anxiety. I'm so done with you. This podcast is a teen and a young adult guide to ditching toxic stress and hardwiring your brain for happiness. If you're new here, grab a copy of my book, Anxiety. I'm so done with you because this series goes section by section through the book, going a little bit deeper, giving more examples and telling more stories. In this season, which follows along with chapter four, we are finally focusing on you making peace with yourself because you can't get rid of anxiety when you're still being your own worst critic. And you know what I mean? You have been your own worst critic and you don't deserve that. You deserve kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And in this season, I'm going to give you the practical tools on how to do that with yourself. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and leaving me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Please spread the word about this book and series because mental health problems have dire consequences that cause more and more pain to young people, their families, and their communities. And I need you to help me turn the tide by sharing these tips for embracing self-love. Welcome to the episode that accompanies chapter four, section three, embrace realistic expectations. In this episode, we'll review how this culture's unrealistic expectations support your feelings of inadequacy. We'll expose your specific unrealistic expectations and then go over a method for embracing realistic expectations that will help you grow and succeed. This section of the book is very simple and short because most of it is a review until you get to the what's in your hand activity. Then you're doing experiential learning. I'm a practical learner myself and I like to learn by doing. I get really frustrated with teachers who tell me that I should do this later. I want to try it right now and feel what it feels like to do it. So that's how I'm going to teach you about unrealistic expectations and making them realistic. For the last couple of years, I've been facilitating a therapeutic support group for empaths. Empaths are highly sensitive people. They're sensitive to people's emotions and often feel feelings from people and places around them in addition to their own. And I teach them how to tell the difference so that they could navigate all these feelings. So anyway, on January 21st, one of the members of the group texted the group chat and she said for this new year, she intended to see things as experiences rather than problems. And it made me think about how we make meaning through our Western culture's lens of fear, high expectations, and deficit mentality. Those negatively inform how we think about what happens to us, causing unnecessary emotional turmoil. However, when you think of things as experiences instead of problems, you see yourself as less of a victim and more of an experiencer or an experimenter. This is for sure empowering, but it also frees you from having to urgently make meaning to restore order when you're in a chaotic situation. When you see things as problems, you make meaning with the purpose of finding out, how do I get out of this feeling right now? And you'll remember from a couple episodes back, that when you have to make meaning urgently, blame is the most common place to land. But blame sucks and it makes the problem so much worse. 
When you think about things as experiences, the meaning-making purpose changes. The question you're now asking is, what is this experience? The best part is you're not in a rush to make meaning, so you could wait for the meaning to show up for you. And in the meantime, you could keep observing, feeling, intending, and responding. Naming it as an experience puts you in the witness role, which, as you know, if you have been listening to all these previous episodes, gives you an immediate distance from the chaos. It gives you the big picture view with a unique perspective to understand and relate to everything in a purposeful and intentional way, instead of being blindly driven by negative emotions. That group member had a brilliant, simple idea to think about problems as experiences. And I like the word experiences because it doesn't insinuate that we must see it positively somehow. Like, instead of problems, they're blessings. Instead of crisis, think of them as opportunities. I don't think those are very helpful. And I also don't believe everything happens for a reason. And I don't think everything happens for a reason is as helpful as people think that it is. Sometimes it can be downright harmful because accidents happen. Some things are nonsensical and life is much more complicated than that. Plus, when you use the word experience, it doesn't dismiss injustice, abuse, or oppression like the word blessings or opportunities do. Experience doesn't suggest that it doesn't matter that bad things have happened to you because it does matter. Thinking about it as an experience allows you to be upset because you are human. However, you're not panicking and you're not drowning in the chaos of the problem, which means that you take less stress into your nervous system. And without having to navigate a stressed out nervous system, you'll have more access to your inner wisdom to respond to what is happening in ways that support you and your future. When I was recovering from my anxiety, I started to think about life as experiences instead of problems too. My anxiety was the kind that had me really terrified of future possibilities of trauma. I was so scared of something awful happening to me or someone I loved because I thought that would be overwhelming and I thought I couldn't handle it. But something shifted when I thought I could have experiences instead of traumas. It changed my perspective of them completely. I felt empowered as a witness of my life rather than a passive recipient of these terrible things. I realized that it was the utter helplessness that triggered the anxiety the most. The power I held as a witness instead of a victim meant I wasn't totally helpless and I could respond. I learned this while studying A Course in Miracles, which is a spiritual text that touts that everything is love. It teaches that false meaning-making, including judgment and fear, gets in the way of experiencing everything as love. In the book, there are daily practices that help you strip off your lifelong history of meaning-making so that you could now see everything as love. The first exercise in the book tells you to sit in a room and look around. Whatever you see, say, this table does not mean anything. This chair does not mean anything. This hand does not mean anything. This foot does not mean anything. This pen does not mean anything. You see, you're removing the meaning around these everyday objects. Letting go of what you know opens space for new meaning to come forth that's not from your ego. The practice is challenging because it equalizes everything. Your grandma's necklace means the same as the tree outside the window and the same as the cupcake that you baked your friend for her birthday. 
Okay, let me tie this all together with the unrealistic expectations that I'm supposed to be discussing in this episode. Expectations have the meaning that you give them. You think you have to be this way or that way to belong, and then you begin to believe that it is true that you have to be this or that. It's an idea, but your mind gives it a truth status. For example, my hair has to look perfect today, can easily become a truth about what you need to do. Here's a tip. Always question expectations, wants, and desires that use the words need, must, should, or have to. Sometimes these words are just a figure of speech, but most of the time the brain hears these expressions as a standard for success, as if they define whether we're acceptable or unacceptable. That, my dears, is black and white thinking. There's no absolutely acceptable or absolutely unacceptable. The word acceptable is relative. I mean, acceptable to whom or for what? We don't even know. These expectations sound like truths, but there's no substance to them. You give unrealistic expectations meaning because you have been encultured to believe that you need to have them and meet them or you will be kicked out of society. From this belief, you end up putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Plus, you don't really know how high the expectation is supposed to be, so you overshoot just to get it right. You can't overshoot perfection, but you can try. It's like being on a hamster wheel, all efforting and not getting anywhere. It doesn't feel good to you, and it doesn't do anything good for you. People often think that unrealistic expectations keep them motivated. They mistakenly assume that they would not get anything done if they were kinder to themselves. But I witnessed unrealistic expectations getting in the way of people's productivity all the time. The pressure and stress about them make people's resistance rise, even bringing out abstinence, making people refuse to try something even though it is something that they wanted to happen. They say things to themselves like, there's no point, I'm going to fail anyway. Why put the effort in? Okay, not everyone lets that stop them, but even if the undercurrents are there and even if it just makes you feel guilty but you keep going, your bandwidth is used up for no good reason. You know, unrealistic expectations are the basis of all negative self-judgment. Because we have these unrealistic expectations, people in our culture judge ourselves so much. The problem is, is that we don't think about these unrealistic expectations as expectations. They're so ingrained and much of the time implicit. Again, implicit means that they are unseen, but still there and totally affecting you. You feel the pressure of unrealistic expectations even when you don't explicitly think about them. However, once you take them out into the open and look at them, you could change them to realistic expectations. Now, if you want real motivation, get some realistic expectations because those are good for you. They keep you charged up and feeling purposeful. They help you grow by having you push the edge between what you can do and what you desire to expand the bounds of your consciousness, skills, understanding, and relationships. Do you have any adults in your life who expect you to do well? You know those teachers who are gung-ho and they believe in you? They're all hyped up and excited for the year. 
They don't come across as stern or pressuring, but uplifting. You know those kinds of teachers. They motivate you, don't they? They have confidence in you and your abilities. It is as if they hold a candle of that confidence and pass the flame to your candle. And you could see your success through their eyes, which gives you the confidence to put effort in and succeed. This is what I mean about realistic expectations motivating you. And it's great if you have adults or friends in your life who believe in you. It really helps if you have that because sometimes you probably get down on yourself and you need someone to hold that candle for you for a bit and then relight your candle when you're ready for it. You can also be that person for someone else, that cheerleader who believes that your friends could do what they want and need to do. Over the years as a practicing psychotherapist, the most meaningful feedback that my clients have given me is that they feel my belief in them. Listen, people have mad skills. They could do so, so much. And when I get to know someone, I learn about their uniqueness and through that, learn how they can overcome the problem that they came to me for. Over the decades, I've honed the ability to discover people's skills quickly. And this is how I do it. I don't try to fix them as soon as they come in my door. I just listen. When people are upset, it totally scares the people around them because they feel inadequate and they respond out of fear trying to fix it. They're worried about them. But it decenters the person that's upset taking the focus off them. But when you're not afraid because you know that people get better and you listen as they talk, you will see that people have so many skills. I hear them and I recognize them as skills and then I reflect them back to them. And that is when things start to shift. I'm not making up their skills. They have them. I just know how to ask and discover them so that they show them to me, even when they're not visible to them. Then I simply reflect back what I heard so they could see it too. I'm not teaching them skills from an expert position. This is their authentic skills. And that's why it works so well. I'll share more about how to be a good listener in the next episode, but I've put a video about how to be a good friend in the blog post that goes with this episode with more videos on lowering your unrealistic expectations. Okay, believing in yourself and having that build confidence is the opposite of getting stalled on unrealistic expectations. If you're a Harry Potter fan and you saw the end of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, you see that he's able to produce a powerful Patronus because he knows that he'd done it before. Knowing you can is a powerful confidence booster. And if you don't know that movie, I'll drop a clip to that in the blog post too. Your mind can make not knowing that you can stall you. You might think, I'll do it when I know I can. How do you know you can unless you do it? You need to do it to see that you can. The best way to build confidence is to keep trying new things. That way, trying things that you're unsure of becomes familiar rather than foreign, decreasing that biological and mental resistance to it. Okay, back to the exercise in the what's in your hand activity in this section of the book. You're visibilizing your unrealistic expectations here. I give you many examples because they're so deep inside of you, you need to warm up seeing them so you could get them out from the depths and visible 
where you could do something about them. Here are some of those examples. I need to act cool at all times. I need to hide my femininity. I need to know what the teacher means. I need to have perfect makeup every day. I can't make waves. I need to ace this test. Please read the whole list that I gave you in the book and then begin a list of your unrealistic expectations because we want to make these implicit expectations explicit so that you have more control. Once they start coming out, you may think of more and more. Write them all down and then read them over. Ridiculous? Yeah, probably there's some ridiculous things in there. I want you to have a friend do this activity with you and read them over with your friend. You'll probably be surprised on how many that you have in common. And it's also sad to think of your friend putting that pressure on themselves. Plus, Seeing it through how it's happening to them gives you the distance to think about your own as ridiculous too. Have compassion for yourself. You're not crazy for having a list of unrealistic expectations. It's a normal part of growing up in a colonized culture. However, now that you know that these are not truths and so not necessary for you to reach, you can rewrite them. Or you could get rid of them altogether, which is okay too. Some of them I understand that you might want to keep because there's something that's important to you in there. For example, I need to know what the teacher means. You want to do well in the class and don't want to throw that value out. But implicit in I need to know what the teacher means is a lack of trust in yourself. You are skeptical that you didn't grok it from the first way they gave the directions. And you're worried that you won't figure it out on your own. Rewriting this expectation could look something like this. I'm interested in understanding the assignment, and I could take some action to research or ask some questions, but I could also be patient because as I begin to work on the assignment, the directions will probably make more sense. You can hear in my voice that there's less energy and attachment than, I need to know what the teacher means. When you say, I'm interested in understanding, and I could take some action to research or ask questions, but also I could be patient because as I start the assignment, the directions will probably begin to make more sense. There's a plan of how to go forward, but nothing to hook judgment on. My book has more examples to help you integrate all of this, but I also added them to the blog post to assist you. Keep going. List all of your unrealistic expectations and dig deep here. While you're doing it, you might as well clear out as much negative thinking as possible. Use this time while it's at the top of your mind to adjust all of the unrealistic expectations in your life. Expose them, debunk them, and be free of them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Anxiety, I'm So Done With You. With me, Dr. Jody. In this episode, you learned how expectations have the meaning that you give them. You heard how that meaning is influenced by your past and by BS cultural standards of being good enough. You learned that once you visualize expectations, you have the power to change them. And then lastly, I gave examples on how to do that. 
I appreciate your subscribing, commenting, and leaving me five stars on Apple Podcasts. As always, there's a link in the show notes to the blog post that goes with this episode that has the transcription and more resources for healing your brain, body, and spirit. Plus, you can hang out with me on YouTube and TikTok at Dr. Jody. The next episode will cover Chapter 4, Section 4, Embrace Connection. Read or listen to that, and I'll see you there.